0: Hey, welcome everyone to the Kingdom R.E.I.D. podcast. It's your host, Ellis Hammond, and this is the podcast show for kingdom leaders really trying to crush it in business. That's what we're, we want to talk about and uh, really see... Uh, business and investing as a means to advance God's kingdom. And we have an incredible, incredible guest that I'm excited to bring on. Uh, she has done a lot. And if I could read you her bio today, then we would just spend the whole time reading all that she's accomplished, all that she's done. But we have uh, Hannah Stoles with us, who is currently an Associate Professor of Supply Chain Management at Lipscomb University and Executive Director of the Wheaton College Center for Faith and Innovation. We have a ton of Wheaton friends, so that's exciting. Um, But really why, I mean, there's a lot of reason why I'm excited for this, but she recently wrote a book called Wisdom-Based Business, Applying Biblical Principles and Evidence-Based Research for a Purposeful and Profitable Business. So like, can you think of, I mean, let's talk about profit today. So without further ado, let me welcome Hannah to the show. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. And I'm excited to hopefully, maybe say some things that get you thinking. Uh, maybe yeah. something you haven't thought of before.
0: <laughs> so le- let me let me, st- let me start here. I mean, I want to get to know you too. So uh, we've not really met. We haven't spent a whole lot of time getting to know each other. So before we jump in, let me just, let me ask you a couple of questions. If when COVID's up, where are you traveling to? Like what's going to be your dream spot that you're going to go get away to
1: so two years ago we booked a place in the south of france for june of 2021 okay i don't think we're gonna make it
0: oh man
1: <laughs> it is such a bummer but man i started 2020 in indonesia teaching in jakarta so when you say like where is your dream place in the world it's more like you want to see my my route that i you know i build routing guides as a logistician. See my routing guide of how I'll go from, you know, Europe to Asia to <laughs> I
0: love all the that. beautiful
1: places around the world.
0: South of France. What's what's I mean, I've actually lived in Spain, but what, what do you go to south of France for? What is what's what's there?
1: Let's see. So you said a lot of. Um audience
0: wise you know wine cheese um yes. are you sold, <laughs> the the French French sold. i'm sold. I'm going yeah that's all i mean that's all you, all i needed to hear actually was wine and cheese and i'll be there yeah but. yeah i think
1: that's what you go for <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's amazing well um so before we get into the episode will you just tell our audience a little bit about yourself kind of your current focus as today and um, and we're going to dive into, you know, why you wrote this book and what you learned here, but may- maybe our audience can learn a little bit about yourself and, um, even what spurred on this book, just kind of who you are and what you've been up to over the last several years, It would be great to hear.
1: Yeah. I'll give you the the shortest version I'm capable of, of my past and kind of what I'm working on yeah, That would
0: be great. <laughs> now.
1: <laughs> um, so the real, real short story, um. My, my parents were missionaries actually in Iran leading up until the Civil War, wow. and that brought them back to the U.S. and really shaped my childhood, even though I grew up here. Uh, my dad was a carpenter and a worship pastor. So, you know, growing up, I thought he kind of was like, you know, a very real version of Jesus that I got to live with as my father
0: hey real estate investors if you've been enjoying this show for a while or enjoying this content at all then i'm sure you're going to want to know that we have a mastermind for kingdom minded real estate investors uh, with folks from all over the country if you're wondering what is a mastermind this is a community that we began back in 2020 uh, to really serve faith-minded investors those who were ambitious in the world of real estate and entrepreneurship but also passionate about christ and really wanted a place an environment a community uh, where we could really join force, join forces and lock arms with people who are like-minded to really flourish in both of those areas. We also have a ton of fun when we meet in places like Dallas, Orlando, San Diego throughout the year. And so I would love to be able to share with you more details on that. If you go to thekingdomrei.com, that's thekingdomrei.com, you can learn more about our mastermind, hear from our members, and then apply to be a part of this community and give us an opportunity to chat more and see if it's a good fit. Enjoy the show
1: and he just amazing Christian parents love Jesus um, and for my dad, his background was um, Mennonite and he always saw that you know the mission field and the work that God's called you to do is where God has you It's not some foreign exotic place where God has placed you is that's your mission field that's where you do the work that God has for you and so he he trained up a lot of carpenters and was a a, a leader in the church growing up. So I had, that was my upbringing. And, you know, there definitely had that kind of upbringing where if you were called by God, it meant something specific, like you're going to work for full time in ministry for the church. Right. And we had a lot of missionaries live with us. I have a lot of my aunts and uncles and family members that were in, you know, the mission field in different places around the world. And from a really young age, I was convinced that I didn't want to do that. (laughs) I wanted to go lots of places all over the world. and. Um, But I didn't want to be dependent on other people to fund it. I really wanted to have a job that sent me someplace globally where I was taking the skill set and something valuable wherever I went. Not that the gospel isn't valuable, but that you land there and can help really equip people for all of life. Um, And so that really shaped me. Uh, I hit undergrad. I knew back then I thought I had to be like a humanitarian lawyer or something to really serve God well. I had that hierarchy of, you know, like. Missionary, mm-hmm. pastor, mm-hmm. youth pastor. then there was like teachers because they're pretty good, Medical, you know that's kind of doctors and teachers help people. And then there's you know business people and lawyers. So I was like, well, lawyer seems I like to argue. I'll go that yeah. route. <laughs> um, but I'll do like humanitarian things, so it'll be great. Um, getting ready high school, um trying to figure it out, my dad had cancer, which kind of depleted resources. So I enlisted in the army. <laughs> and that that, that was not what I was expecting
0: by the way that was quite the pivot there okay all right you you caught my attention
1: job one job one 17 years old leave home leave my like you know Christian bubble cradle of an amazing house and go to boot camp trained as a cultural analyst and in psychological operations and it really shifted the whole trajectory of my life my undergrad years really went through kind of your faith doubts that everybody does but um landed in a place just actually at the end of myself at 22 and made some massive life choices, um, chose to become a single mom. And as I navigated that, the military, you know, God puts amazing people all across our paths in the ways that we least expect it. And I always, I, I tell my students this and, and anybody that will listen, really, you have opportunities in your life where you get to experience the grace of God. And then you have opportunities in life where you get to live the grace of God. And there's no situation like being a young pregnant or a young single mom to get judged by all of your non-Christian and Christian friends simultaneously and equally pretty amazing. But um, it totally shifted the trajectory of what I thought life was about and my own value and what I could accomplish. And it was a season where I understood the love and grace of God. Like I never imagined it before. And I also experienced kindness and wisdom in really amazing places. I had a first sergeant. Um, it was a woman, I was in public affairs as a broadcast journalist in the army at that point. And she's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I'm gonna go to law school. And she's like, that's stupid. Cause you know, people give you really direct advice sometimes. Yeah. And I, and I was like, okay. And she's like, well, you can't go into debt right now. She's like, I'll find money for you to get an MBA. Wow. So that's how I ended up in business. Incredible. <laughs> and I got into the MBA program and just absolutely loved it. it became, um, realized I wanted to be paid to think. I didn't have 20 years of experience. So I got the PhD. Mm-hmm. And I love writing. I love teaching. I love being in the classroom and inspiring people just to imagine and think about the world, not through what culture hands us, but to really think about our impact um, counterculturally. And scripture, when you dive into scripture, it's like mind blowing and amazing and practical and challenging all at the same time. And that's really where my passion is.
0: Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun today, but I, I can't move on until you tell me a little bit about this stint in the army at 17, missionary parents. Like, did you start like when boot camp? I mean, were you like crawling through the mud? And like, I mean, can we get a, a few stories here? I mean, this is pretty yeah. fascinating. Like, that's a big pivot.
1: Yeah, were I were mean, you kind of like, like used no I mean as a
0: missionary, that. like you know, you're probably in Iran, I imagine you were kind of used to I don't well, know, I camping and US. doing different things. So
1: Yeah, I grew up midwestern US. My parents got kicked out when the Shah was overthrown. So I did grow up in the US, but okay. um I grew up in a musical home. Never played a sport. <laughs> i'm an academic so this Uh, is wild so so you know the 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 opportunity in the army really was you know you get the gi bill Mm -hmm. yeah it's such a great opportunity to get school paid for and you get really practical training along the way um so yeah it was it was a pretty big culture shock and i was in the first class (laughs) i think it was that year i won't won't age myself too much but i was in the first (laughs) class to ever integrate men and women in boot camp
0: no kidding (laughs)
1: So I was that like short, petite person that's like not athletic that had to run at the front of the formation with like the big burly infantry guys in the back, just like wanting to be able to sprint their five miles and they have to pace to me. So, um, you know, you find it, you find where God places you in life that you figure out where your, your strengths are hmm. and you play to those and then you face the rest hmm. of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I teaching college students has got to be a breeze after going through something like that, right? I mean, that sounds.
1: <laughs> yeah, wow. every environment has its own challenges, but I can I can look like I'm doing push-ups without doing any, so I learned that really well.
0: That's hilarious. That's <laughs> hilarious. Well, uh, let's let's get into this, and I definitely want to because what you've written about is a lot of things that we've talked about uh, on mm-hmm. this show in terms of uh, why. You know, you've already mentioned some of these things about there's this hierarchy, traditionally speaking, that we all come in, that we all, either we've grown up in the church, maybe we've not grown up in the church, what we perceive to be a hierarchy of worship or of importance in the kingdom. Um, And yet there's really not been a great space for business leaders and entrepreneurs and CEOs and really those who are very good at making money. Um, and, And a lot of times, and I'll be honest, sometimes it's really hard to find great guests for this show because... I can't type in Christians who are crushing it in business because I don't know who they are because yeah. we've also been taught to not talk about profit and what we make and how well we're doing And and I think in a lot of ways that can be a disservice for guys like myself, who I was a missionary. I was a pastor. Now, not, now I'm an entrepreneur and I want to learn how do I be successful and do really well and use and leverage my business for kingdom purposes. So I know you spent so much time researching in this topic. So I'm really excited to get into this book.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I love, I love this book. (laughs) Um, and even more so I, I, I hope that it gets people to really read their Bibles. Mm. Um, and that's, that's really my goal at the end of the day. Sometimes we, we, you know, the Bible was written through, you know, I don't know, say three to 2,000 years ago. But, um, and we read it so many times because we have that hierarchy in our minds, you know, that the Bible is written for pastors to preach sermons out of. And we don't always think about it. Like the Bible is really practical about how to live life. You know, the 600 laws in the old Testament, 300 are civic. That's everyday life. It's not about temple worship. It's not about how we, you know, who got, it's, it's all about like, where do you put the fence around your property <laughs> and what do you charge people and how do you pl- pay your servants and you know and so scripture is practical and business oriented and um i love it and i got into it really I, I started off as a doing really kind of thinking about my phd as a a way of traveling of going places all over the world and kind of like that tent maker mentality i don't know if you've talked to people who've talked about being a tent maker and that it was really ancillary, right? I have a PhD in business, and then I'm going to do the real work for God. And I started off thinking, well, I'll do research around stewardship. So I did a lot of sustainability work. I had the opportunity to work with some really amazing faculty at the University of Tennessee. And one of the first projects I was on was actually sponsored by the Department of Defense. It was a sustainability project looking at green, lean, and global supply chains. So it sounds like real tactical, right? And we're we're working with all these Fortune 500 companies and doing, you know, interviews, working with, you know, key decision makers. And they're talking about like, we just really want to honor our employees. Mm. We want our employees to have dignity in their work they're doing. You know, we realize that we need to hand this planet on to the next generation. We really want to know that we're taking care of it. And I'm sitting at this table, listening to these companies, multi, multi multi-billion dollar companies. And I'm thinking, man, those are really biblical things they're doing. I wonder if anybody's told Christians to do these things. And that's really, really started in me that I'm seeing all these things in business practice that are really driving profit and are really making firms successful. And I see Christians, I don't know if it's separation of church and state, or, you know, we get um, wary of like green or things that feel too liberal, or I don't know, but there's so many principles in scripture that actually make businesses more profitable, better places to work, better products. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like we teach it or live it and how we do business sometimes, um, from this mindset. So I had this, this side, and then I get to Wheaton college and, you know, Wheaton's like the Billy Graham hub. It's, they have world renowned theologians. And I find out there's this faith and work movement. And as a business professor, I was at Florida state. I never heard of it before. I was like, is anybody going to tell business people about this or business faculty that there's this whole faith and work movement? Mm -hmm. Um,
0: and so, even that was it. still separate just for the like kind of theog- theological school. There really wasn't an integration yet between the business program and faith program.
1: Not at all. That's even though insane. we have to like write integrated work and all of it, so you go to these faith and work conferences, and it'd be a room full of theologians, like oh your God. five token CEOs, probably donors, and they would tell their stories. And it was <laughs> great. You know, it was great. But I was like, where are the business faculty? And then there was this one line that just got me, just drove me nuts. There we go gosh, I just wish there was really evidence that this works, that this could make you more profitable. And I'm like, there's a hundred years of business research that proves that treating your employees well reduces employee turnover, makes them more productive. You're going to have higher you know, organizational commitment. Like there is evidence of this. It's just, we have theological language and then we have business language and nobody's right. marrying the two. Right. And that's, that's my passion.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, I got a list of questions for you already. So let me just pray for us, like I always do, and then uh, we'll get in. Uh, Father, in heaven, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, crossing our paths uh, with Hannah, and I'm just excited to uh, to share the the wisdom, the knowledge, the uh, just the experiences that she's come across uh, over the last several years, uh, decades, really. Um, and really helping people think about this integration of faith and work. And, and God, maybe we leave here with just a better understanding of how we can leverage our business, our capital, our profits, our work for the glory, God, of your name and your kingdom. Is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here's my first question, Hannah, because when we, when we launched this show, it was called Kingdom Capitalist, and um, I was a pastor for six years, and— uh it was not well. I don't want to call. It, wasn't like we got hate mail by any means, but like the the reactions were iffy. Like, what do you like a kingdom capitalist like talking about money? I'm curious. Like, you're like, have you gotten just your experience in, in this world of faith and you know receiving any pushback or things like that? What's been your experience in this world as you talk about you know clearly word prophets in your book? What talk to me about that?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, and and you're kind of insulated. I've been insulated going from like University of Tennessee to Florida State. You're in a world that it's all profit. That's it. That's our only outcome variable that really, like if you try to publish something and you don't measure the impact on profit, forget about it. So, you know, we're so profit focused. And so it was really interesting going to Wheaton um, where you have a mix, not just of, you know, a theological foundation and Christian, but also um, very liberal arts. And a little bit skeptical of capitalism as well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it really gave me a lot of pause. And what I think happens sometimes is we look at capitalism and um, competition through the lens of, you know, Milton Friedman economics, you know, neoclassical economics. And we think that it's all about self-interest. It has to be a zero-sum game. Like, there have to be winners and losers. And um, that... So it really, when, when people get anti-capitalist, I feel like it's because we've narrowly defined what that looks like. And, you know, there's a lot coming out that's really exploring, you know, renewing capitalism and thinking about, you know, what do we do with profitability from different angles? And so I would say like the hardest places to navigate is actually, you know, um, I don't want to have challenges with Christian business people, really, um, at all. The challenge is kind of marrying the theology and the, the, that piece of it that you say, no, wealth wealth is necessary but it's not the end goal and as long as you can assure people that wealth itself that profit itself isn't the end goal it's a resource that God mm-hmm. calls us to utilize for the kingdom that shifts the story and so that's the beauty of capitalism is that it gives us opportunity to create wealth creatively and not all economic models provide the kind of opportunity that capitalism has now all economic models can be abused. So you can make all these arguments either way. And any broken system we pick up and try to operate in, is going to be broken. Right. And so at the end of the day, um, you know, I have I have a lot of thoughts about profitability and the ability to make profit and to have have that motivation. But it, I think that we've overestimated self-interest and we've underestimated the power of transformation through the gospel. That there are people out there that truly love Jesus and can be altruistic.
0: Mm. Just basic question. Why is profit so important? Why is a lot of profit important? I mean, what talk to me because you wrote in this. There's a headline, the virtue of profit. Let's just stay mm. on profit for a minute. The importance of it, why it's necessary. Talk to me about that.
1: I, I love this because um, it's so, so critical for Christians to get this. Cause we have the extremes, you know, we have people that just pursue profit. And then we have like the other side that I always wanted to avoid because kind of like the, my, my perception sometimes, um, which probably wrong, I was a kid of like missionaries and stuff where they're almost angry if people aren't supporting them and the work that they're doing, you know, where they're like, I, I would never do, you know, go into business because I'm called to something higher, but how dare you not share your money that you've made in business with me right. so I can do the work that God's called me to. And both are really wrong mindsets. And so when we think about profit and the way I love to think about it in my book, um, because scripture talks about it so much, and I'm actually doing it. We have a a training kind of event coming up at at Wheaton um, next month at a conference called Integrate. And I'm going to open with this talk about gleaning. And throughout wisdom literature, there's these two words that come up a lot. One is chayel and the other is chesed. And you got to love Hebrew, so you can get that in there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Hayal is this word for valiance. Um, and it's used to describe David's mighty men. They were Hayal. And it's used to describe wisdom herself when she's personified in Proverbs. So we see it in Proverbs 31, where it says like the noble wife or the noble woman, it actually means it's Hayal, a set, which is just the valiant woman. And then there's one other book that really uses this term of Hayal, and it's the book of Ruth. And I don't know if you know this, I don't know how much Bible, Bible stuff you've done, but um, the book of Ruth in the Hebrew Bible actually follows Proverbs because in Hebrew tradition, the book of Ruth really personified all that Proverbs teaches. And um, I'm getting to my point in this, don't worry. Then the other one is chesed, which is kindness, mercy, loving kindness. You know, that Psalms that we say in church, that's like his love endorsed forever, his love endorsed forever. That's chesed. And so Hassan and Hayel, I believe, are what, well, you know, scripture says, they personify God, but they also personify Ruth and Boaz in that story. So now why prophet is so important. Um, the in the story of Ruth and Boaz, of course, like Naomi goes off and she comes back impoverished, you know, to, to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm. And because Boaz was profitable, the whole story works because Boaz had fields, that were big enough that they had margin. And so in, in scripture, it actually calls it margin. And we talk about profit, it's our margin, right? It's the margin between um, the cost and the, the, the price point on our product, right? So price minus cost gives us that profit in between. And back then it was fields, they didn't necessarily use currency. And so around his fields, it says this in, in Leviticus, you know, leave margin mm. so that the poor can come and glean. Mm. And the reason that profitability is so important, and the reason that Israel was called to be a light was so that they would have margin, that nations and immigrants and refugees and the poor could come to their fields and their places of business, and there was extra for them. And so you think about all throughout scripture. So I just think, Ruth, I mean, Boaz just sums it up so great, because that that concept of Chael, I mean, it's. It's, it's tied into to military conquest. It's tied into spoils of war. And he had these like spoils of business in his business. And, it, you know, he had employees, he had managers. He goes out and talks to a manager in the passage. Like it's a whole business model right there in that book. But then we get to Matthew 25. In the chapter of Matthew 25, I think is Jesus teaching on Proverbs 31. So you look at this passage, you have bridesmaids whose lamps burn through the night. You know, in Proverbs 31, her lamp burns through the night. So she has enough money to pay for that oil. The bridesmaids, you know, they invested. They had money for the oil. You see the parable of the talents in that passage, you know, the master Mm -hmm. gives him money. Mm -hmm. And he actually like casts out the guy that doesn't have profit. Mm -hmm. It's a really weird passage. Like we never read it literally, but what if, what if the allegory means that there's some truth in the story he's telling all by itself, Right. Like it works because you should make money on things you've been entrusted with. And then you get to the last part of Matthew 25. And this is why profit becomes important again. And he's separating out the sheep and the goat. Jesus is talking about, you know, the sheep nation and the goat nations. And you know what makes the sheep nations have access to eternal life in the kingdom of heaven? Their ability to give, Hmm. their ability to have margins. And so they were, they closed the, the poor. They fed the hungry. They visited the incarcerated. They um, you know, they shared with, with the poor, they, all of the things that they did meant that they, maybe they gave of their own. And it's not to say you can't be poor or you can't have margin at any level of life, but man, that margin really brings blessing to people around you when profit isn't just your end goal. It's a, it's a resource for the kingdom of heaven.
0: And this is awesome. God, go buy her book, the book, we're not even done with the podcast, it's called Wisdom-Based Business. Dim, you know, So I'm going to put the link in the show notes. This is amazing. This gives me so much context to the language that I – and I, what's cool about my 25? so in our mastermind, we have a mastermind community, we have about 20 investors all over the country managing over a billion dollars of real estate. And one of the things that we say and that we picked up from, I think, another guest of this show is that success looks like multiplication. Even in the kingdom, success looks like multiplication. We know that. We see Jesus say, go and multiply, go and be fruitful. See, from the very beginning, when God says that to Adam and Eve, we see Jesus saying that in Matthew 25, where they were given a talent or multiple, and they were expected to return more than what they were given. And so it's really clear. And then go and make disciples, right? We are called to multiply our lives. And so we see throughout the passage in scripture that success does look like multiplication even even in the kingdom i love i've never even thought about matthew 25 even the other because we've just focused on the talents and so you've given me so much more context to um to think about that so i think that's amazing um really excited to to kind of go back and look at that for sure wow well, what else are we missing that's my question then I'm not, that's just one <laughs> little nugget I mean, you yeah. say there are tons of biblical passages. You talk about Proverbs 31. What, 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 do, you, what do you find to be some other kind of for business owner CEOs when they, or even theological folks, mm-hmm. um, what other passages have brought up great conversations for you? Now I'm really curious. What, what, yeah. Th- let, me, let me ask it this way. What passages, if I'm a business person, which I am, people listening to this are, would get me excited about reading the Bible again in terms of how this applies to my business because Matthew twenty five is a great example. What what else?
1: Yeah, Matthew twenty five is just awesome. But you know, I do Matthew twenty five every parable in there with like the lamp, with the talents, and the yeah. prophet, and then the the giving to the poor. It's all there in Proverbs thirty one, which is a passage that I think we've just totally overlooked. Um, and I had this moment like so long ago. It took me ten years to write this book, and it started with this moment. Of being in a women's Bible study, I was, you know, post-military MBA, getting ready to do my PhD in business. And we read through it and, you know, is women's Bible study. So we read Proverbs 31 and we're reading through it. And I'm listening to this passage and I'm like, she's sourcing flax. She's going out and buying it. Like she had so much business that her own flax garden and fields weren't enough raw materials for the demand she had in the market. I was like, huh, that's a supply chain. Mm. What if we read this like business being wisdom being personified in the marketplace and not in a temple, not as a king or a priest and weirdly as a woman, but she's an entrepreneur running a business. So I think this passage, when you dig into it, it's the foundation of my whole book. Um, I think there, are, there there's servant leadership and then five business strategies that I think are best class business strategies in the fortune 500 and everywhere today that show up in scripture. So read Proverbs 31. I could talk about that probably for too long. And the other passage I think is just like amazing. Like I read it one day and I was like, what? Why haven't I heard sermons preached on Proverbs 20? (laughs) It's so weird. I don't know if you are familiar with Proverbs 20 but it's the path, like it's it's all business, the whole thing. It's like, you know, if you are in the middle of a transaction and you're like, this is bad product. This is a really bad product. And then you go away and you laugh because you took advantage of them, it's an abomination to God. So think about that in terms of like sourcing or like real estate, like you go into a house and you're like, yeah, it's not really, it's not very nice. It's not good quality. And you talk them way down on price and then you walk away and laugh and you're like, man, we totally took advantage of them. Didn't we? We got a great price on that. And sometimes we think when we get, we negotiate a price down that like, Oh God really blessed that transaction. But if the other person completely loses and doesn't mm-hmm. get any value out of working with us in business, I think that's why it's an abomination to God, because business isn't about like squeezing every penny out of the transaction. Business is about how you impact people and build relationships. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if we kind of reduce business down to being about our balance sheet, we are never going to have a positive impact on society or culture. So when we think about you know that whole triple bottom line space of thinking about you know how do we Use resources, environmental resources. How do we treat people and how do we make money? I mean, Jesus didn't throw money out in Matthew 25. It was, a, it was a part of the story. So Proverbs 21, read it, be challenged by it. It's so direct. It's like, there's no guessing. Like, what does this mean? It's like, don't cheat people. Don't charge more for products than they're worth. You know, don't, you know, the whole like false scales. And when we read it sometimes, it seems like so... Like prosaic and like ancient Near East, but like you know, Whole Foods had a whole false scales controversy just in mm. the last you know five ten years, and so it's it's modern day business mm. practical, mm. um, yeah. I, I love
0: what What do you mean? Uh, let's Let's keep rolling. this is so good. I just I'm gonna I got good things to mm. ask you because like so many things we've chatted on the show, if like you can give great biblical context too. So you say your biggest. Complaint in capitalism against capitalism is thinking short term versus long term. Can you explain short term profits? I'm guessing you mean by profits by that. Can you explain what you mean?
1: Yeah, I mean short term everything. So I think when we really work for a quarterly report, we lose sight of our longer term impact. And your quarterly report can be the impact on people, but I mean, most of the time it comes down to dollars, right? Um, and so there's this, there's a, a challenge. I mean, it's coming out of, um, you know, BlackRock and big venture funds saying like, you know, we need to have a longer term orientation. If, if we, you know, the average tenure of a CEO in the US is three to five years, and they're just looking at a golden parachute to get out, you know, to go and get out with their, their big bag of cash, that's right. problematic for what organizations look like. And all of the employees and the opportunity to really disciple people I think, man, it happens more in in business and day-to-day. You spend more time with your work colleagues than you do with people from church. So if you really want to get alongside people and disciple people, it's kind of one of the things my dad taught me really well as a carpenter. Like do it on Monday to Friday is when you Mm. disciple people. Work alongside Mm. people. Don't don't think about your business as a way of maximizing just shareholder wealth. How are you maximizing employee wealth and employee livelihood? And with the short-term orientation, which is very Western, It shifts when you go to Asia, when there's so many more family-owned businesses, and they're really thinking legacy and handoff and succession, it shifts how you think about your goals as a company. And I love this. One of the oldest existing companies in the world, a thousand years of profitability is an Abbey in Austria. Just crazy. Like you wouldn't think of like, oh, some like monastery in in Austria. But um this this abbey, like they started a thousand years ago and realized like people are languishing in poverty. Let's let's start um you know harvesting timber from the forests around us and do some like carpentry stuff. And they started it was profitable, they made money on it, but the monks leading these businesses weren't doing it for their own, you know, their own pockets, which is, I mean, there's nothing wrong with with wealth, it's but we do have an accountability to what we do, you know, with that money for the people around us. And, you know, the the monks don't have that Benedictine monks. I don't know, you know, they live fairly sterile, (laughs) plain lives and it created a business that lasted a thousand years, wow, which is amazing. And their goal wasn't to make tons of money. Their goal was to create economic wealth for the community they were in.
0: Hmm. So your, your point in that is that, we actually do more harm to the people around us to the communities we're trying to build to even maybe other businesses around us when we just think about a three or five-year exit and really trying to think longer term how do we really build something for the future
1: yeah yeah and business strategy i think um and I'm not, I'm not a finance person. I realize that I'm a supply chain person, you know? So we, we think longevity because you want products, you want natural resources to be available because um, you create a product that you think people need slash one. Um, and so, you know, I have a, I have a different, lo- a slightly different way of looking at the world because of the space that I live in, you know, and the lens that I see everything mm-hmm. through, but definitely the short-term, you know, it, it robs companies of long-term profitability. Mm-hmm. You know making money fast today becomes transactional. It doesn't become relational. And then you're constantly going through that cycle every three months of like working with your suppliers, working with your customers. Um, and people are willing, you know suppliers are gonna go the extra mile for you if you pay them well. Customers will pay you more if they feel like you have a really quality product and you're there for them. And sometimes we think that you just you know this this quarter, just to make our profit margins, we really have to squeeze it. And sometimes, you know, we're seeing I've, I've started doing um, work, telling the stories of companies that are really thinking this way so that we can build out cases for the classroom. Because like you said, you can't Google it. And part of the reason I wrote in the book is I was looking for resources to teach my students. And I'm like, there aren't any. I guess I'm going to have to do this. Hmm. And, you know, if you think short term versus long term, you end up in a transactional cash to cash cycle. That doesn't have a broader strategy and purpose beyond you know the the report you're making right now, and so I think the challenge you can't you have to be profitable or you're not in business. If you don't have margin, the poor aren't going to benefit. Your employees aren't going to benefit from you being in business. But making just that profit margin your goal every quarter isn't going to get you to where you need to go in terms of human impact, environmental impact, and long term financial sustainability either. And so what we, what we are starting to see is companies who say in quarter one, we're going to take a hit and our books aren't going to look that great this quarter, but we're going to invest in our employees. And by quarter four, your employees are so much better engaged that your margin in quarter four is way bigger than it would have been, you know, Mm -hmm. even if you combine quarter one and quarter four, but if you, if you don't have any kind of long-term orientation at all, you just keep making sacrifices every quarter.
0: That's a helpful example. Yeah, that's really good. I really appreciate you ending like that. Um, okay, so I, I do want to talk about the research that you've done on this because I'd love to hear some stories or examples of some of the cases that you ha- have done for what we have time, maybe one or two that you write about in your book. And again, I'm sure you have more in the book that we can all go read. You've definitely got a customer in me. So what, um, what are some cases that we can talk about with the time we have left?
1: Yeah, I can do, you know, Right. I'll do one that's like an obvious one, and then one that's not so. And none of the companies sure. in my book are perfect. You know, they have an area where they're exceptional and really kind of capture the idea of the chapter or of the of the idea of the concept. And one of them is um, the quality chapter, where I look at quality orientation and just thinking through. You know, it's not to say that you might you might not ever sell a low cost product. You know, that but then your price point should match it. And then there's high co- you know high quality products that price point should match that. And there's this great example, there's a, a little coffee company in Wheaton, Illinois, called I Have a Bean. And it started because the, the gentleman who was the CEO, first of all, he discovered that coffee could taste good. Um, he, you know, once you get out of like the Starbucks con- coffee consumption of the US and go taste like fresh brewed coffee in South and Central America, you're like, wow, coffee in and of itself, just black can be really delicious. So we had this like discovery, this epiphany of coffee. But at the same time, um, his brother had just been released from a felony conviction in prison and he was a brilliant, um, computer programmer and all of this. And he like literally could not find a job anywhere. Nobody would hire him. Payroll companies won't put on, you know, won't put ex-felons on, on payroll. And he had a project he needed to get done. And basically his own payroll company told him he couldn't hire his brother-in-law to do the work, even though he could do the work five times. Like he would have to fire, hire five people to do the work for him. And so he realized there was this huge need that there are really, really quality people, not just a quality product, but quality people out there who have been gifted by God have made mistakes, have paid for those mistakes and aren't given a second chance by society. And so I love the quality chapter because quality is not just about delivering a quality product into the marketplace. It's about developing quality people and allowing people like your employees to really have voice, to have dignity, to be heard. And that's like, you know, behind Lean and the Total Quality Movement. Um, you have to engage employees and dignify employees if you want to deliver something quality anyway. So I love that example of just thinking, how do you draw quality out in people and then deliver something of quality to the marketplace? Um, so that's one just mm. great example. Um, and then one of the other examples, and I'm I'm thinking through, you know, he's, he's a Christian and he has a faith mission. Um, and I, I purposefully use companies in my book that are non-Christian, And have been around for a really long time. So I love Unilever. And I'm gonna give you like the 30 second case synopsis of Unilever, I think, without just talking faster. And so if you don't know much about Unilever, you know, the Lever brother, industrial revolution, you know, things that we take for granted, realize that lots of people had dysentery and all these issues. And he's like, they just need soap. That's all they need. So why can't we just create soap that the masses can afford? And that was the beginning of Unilever he created a product that people need to keep them from getting dysentery and dying of stupid things that hygiene help. Um, and he had these really interesting like early ideas about, um, kind of, he was one of the first people to have employee benefits huh. during the industrial revolution. Now he's wow. on, like really broken things, like how they sourced was really broken and they've kind of made up for that over the years, like their palm oil, sourcing and all of that. But you look at Unilever now and there's some great Ted talks by Unilever experts. Um, and they say, you know, um, their Their goal isn't just profitability. Their goal is saving lives. So when they took soap into India, yeah, they need to be profitable or they can't they can't get their products there. You know, they can't be sustainable in terms of the good they do. But their real goal was to get soap available for people across India. And it's such a great example of the way that um, a bigger picture idea can actually, you know he was he could have been more profitable in the industrial Revolution if he hadn't had benefits for his employees he would have had bigger profit margins. But I mean, you look at Unilever today, you know, multi-billion dollar company, they scaled, they grew, um, they kept investing, but they invested in a way that helped them to grow sustainably where their impact, I think, has been increasingly good over the years.
0: Wow, I love that. I mean, because those are great. I mean, those are, you know, even what you just said, profitability plus, it's, it's a part, it's the margin that allows us to actually take the gift, the strategy, the idea into the world, right, in a really, I mean, we would say advance God's agenda, advance the kingdom, have kingdom impact, but you could, I mean, you could argue that Unilever is having kingdom impact, maybe without the the king himself, but still, like, that's a good work that they're doing, right. And so it's funny how we go back to profit, because it does start there. I guess that's my question for you, too, in all of these cases is how much in your research? You know, let's say there's people listening and they have a business idea or maybe they're doing a business and they, they have a bigger vision for it of how they want. You know, they've been listening to the show and now they're of starting to gather a, a, a mindset and a belief that they can use their business to impact people's lives in, in a big way. Do they start with profit? in learning maybe how to become more profitable or do they think about how can I turn that idea into a profit making center? Is it the chicken or the egg in your kind of in your research? Can you speak to that?
1: Yeah. Um, I would actually say don't start with profit, start with people Hmm. and start with understanding need. And I, I love this, you know, like human-centered design. We're looking at face-centered design at Wheaton and kind of building out some ideas around how do you innovate in a human-centered way? Um, but if, if you don't, if you have a product idea or a business idea and you don't have a customer, <laughs> you're never gonna have any profit anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to start really with, with who's your customer? Who, who is going to be blessed that God equips you to make a certain product or have a certain service or skill or resource, Right. Um, So I would say start there. And, you know, I'm a supply chain person. So I want to know, like, what is the ecosystem? So I think a lot of times if you like watch Shark Tank and um, I love I love watching and doing student pitches, you know, their ideas and stuff. And a lot of times they think I'm going to buy a product and there's going to be a price point and then I'm going to sell it to my customer for this, you know, sell sale price. That's sticker price. And they don't actually think about the supply chain and total landed costs of getting that product to market. So I'm being really brass tacks right now. Um, so when we think about profitability, I think first you need to really understand the people that are going to be impacted by the business you do. And then you start looking at how, who are the different people that are going to play the role of creating my margin? Because you look at your customer, who is the customer? What do they need? How much money do they have? How much will they pay for my product? So you see how that shifts it when you think about the person and not just the profit margin. And then you think about where's my product coming from? Who's my supplier? How much can they sell it to me for and be profitable? Not just how cheap can I get it? Because you can get really cheap stuff from whole supply chains of slave labor in, in Southeast Asia. Right. But how do I source this product in a way that brings human dignity and is going to be equitable and, and godly? And, mm-hmm. then, and then you look at what's left in between. And if you can't honor those people by serving these people, then maybe you need to rethink your business model. So the profit margin has to be there for you to move forward. But I think that we sometimes want to build out our, our our cost model before we thought about people.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's really good. And you're so right. I mean, you know, just from a entrepreneur standpoint, so many people have an idea of a product and I always say it's a wrong starting point because products change, needs change, desires change you really need to focus on the people that you want to serve because then you can create multiple products and you can do multiple things. So I think that's a great word. I also think what's coming out of this and I just hope for my audience is that, um, and we've talked a lot about profit and I, I love that actually, because I think most people are just scared to make profit, like charge for your crap people, you know, like you need margin and you shouldn't, I see so many people in business, like, I just, I, I don't want to charge them that much or like you're, you're hurting, you're crippling your mission and your ability to have margin um, so that you can go do bigger and better things. And so yeah. we run a, 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 we run a mastermind and it's thousands of dollars to be a part of. And sometimes I get the pushback of like, why charge so much for your mastermind? because we're trying to be profitable because I don't want to do this for free. You know what I mean? Like that's that's a huge answer to the question. And, you know, and people who also want to be profitable don't want to show up to things that are free because they understand this idea. And so, um, no, I just love all that's come out of this. I appreciate you giving me a hunger for the, the Bible to go back and kind of look at some of these passages again. And uh, so I'm really excited uh, to go back and look at that. Um, Real quick why I kind of finalize this tell people where they can go to learn more about yourself your book. um, Where's the best place to get in touch with you and and buy your stuff right go buy her stuff people let's like talk about profit she's 100% earned $25 of your time today so whatever it is go buy it so where can they go.
1: Yeah, so the book, Wisdom Based Business, I have like my pre-release version here. It's very exciting to see your words in print. Um, is available on Amazon, so you can pre-order it on Amazon, at Walmart, at Barnes and Noble. Um, basically, if you can throw a rock, I hope you can buy one of my books. Um, you know, nearby the rock can hit it anyway. Um, so you can find it at any of those places. Um, And, you know, the the work that I'm doing with the book now is is doing, you know, some theological work through the Center for Faith and Innovation at Wheaton College, doing classes and training. If you want to train and think about how do I build out my business strategy this way? Um, Also, the work that I'm doing at Lipscomb with the transformative sales and supply chain, it's more brass tacks, you know, thinking through what's your SNOP, your sales and operations plan and how does it align with wisdom. Um, and so I'm working in, you know, the Chicago and the Nashville areas in this space. So feel free to reach out to me um, at, and any of my many academic institutions that I'm working at right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, my prayer is that people are excited by how much God cares about the work we do in the marketplace, not just that we can finance the work of the kingdom, but we can every day yeah. do the work of the kingdom, That's Monday great. to Friday.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. I'll make sure I link your book, your site, in our show notes so folks can do that. Everyone who's listening, I I just hope you you are on fire as I am for doing the work that God's called you to do. I mean, this is why the show exists. And I always, you know, and I say this, and I hope you're hearing this again, is that you know this is the sword that God has given you to really wield, um, and 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 advance His kingdom. And and so we should get really serious about thinking you know, how do we, how do you turn your business into a profit center? How do you really create margins? So I love, and I love that vision. You think about early Israel and God's heart to be this, like even think about where it is in location wise, strategically placed to be a place where the other nations could gather, could come. Um, you think about when King uh, Solomon was in his finest and all the people that would come to King Solomon and see all of the resources that they would have. Why? Because God had given them margin, they were being successful, and the nations would gather. So think about your community, right? When you're in a business that's profitable and that you're crushing it, it's not that you're crushing people, you're actually helping people, you're helping those around you when your business is excelling, right? When you're charging what you need to be charging for your product and for your services. And so love those takeaways. So if you're getting those takeaways with me, I'd love to hear in the reviews. Definitely make sure you leave us a five-star review uh, for this episode and make sure you write it. Share that on LinkedIn and Instagram um, because we want to get this message out more too. So Hannah, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I really look forward to uh, telling about your book to others. And uh, maybe there's a way to collaborate on some things in the future.
1: That'd be wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a fun conversation.
0: Okay, see ya. Hey, real estate investors, I hope this show has given you permission to go out into the world and crush it in the name of Jesus. If you wanna learn more about our community and locking arms and joining forces with other like-minded investors like yourself, go to thekingdomrei.com to learn more about our mastermind and send in an application. We'll see you next week.